Wellness Force Radio, episode 32. And I think physical fitness is one of the hidden things that nobody ever talks about in relationship because if people are not feeling good inside their bodies, they're going to take it out on the relationship. They're going to find fault in the relationship simply because they're not humming inside themselves. Wellness Force Radio, welcome back for another episode. I am your host and digital health coach, Josh Trent. Thank you so much for sharing your busy day here on the podcast. And if you're here for the first time, Wellness Force Radio is where I bring you the most inspiring and passionate experts in behavior change and wellness technology. These are the thought leaders. They dedicate their lives to empowering others with the knowledge and tools that drive real transformation in our physical and emotional wellness. Today's show is brought to you by wellnessforce.com, where you'll learn how to change old habits with new technology. Explore wellnessforce.com to see if digital health coaching is right for you, and be sure to check out our new and exciting transformation groups starting February 15th of 2016. Now, if you're on an iPhone, I would love 30 seconds of your support. Just tap the screen where you see the show logo. You'll discover all the links from today's show with Gay and Katie Hendricks pop up easily on your screen. Hit the review link in purple and take just 30 seconds to leave an honest review to be published live on iTunes. Your amazing review allows me to keep the lights on for the show and to keep serving this community by bringing on world-class people who are making a difference and changing lives. Just like the guests on today's show, Gay and Katie Hendricks. Doctors Gay and Katie Hendricks are pioneers in the fields of conscious relationships and body intelligence and the authors of more than 30 books, including bestsellers such as Conscious Loving, The Big Leap, and Five Wishes. During the past 30 years, they've appeared on hundreds of radio and television shows and networks, including Oprah, CNN, CNBC, and CBS's 48 Hours. In 1989, they founded the Hendricks Institute, which offers seminars annually in North America, Asia, and Europe. Their nonprofit organization, the Foundation for Conscious Living, funds research films and scholarships in the era of conscious relationships and natural well-being. Gay and Katie, welcome to Wellness Force Radio. Thank you so much, Josh. Great to be with you. Great to be with you, Josh. This is so exciting. I have a lot of energy around this topic, and it's something we have not discussed yet for the Wellness Force Radio audience. And that is creating conscious, loving relationships. Your book, Conscious Loving Ever After, we are going to dive into all the ABCs of that. I actually spent the past couple days sitting down, reading the book with my highlighter, sharing information with my girlfriend, emailing different quotes to colleagues. So it's been a fun time for me. And I want to start out by asking you each a unique question. The first one is, what is something fun, gay, that people might not know about you? Well, one thing uh, you would have seen me last Saturday night, we had a big party here and uh, the band and I, uh, I got up and sang a couple of songs with them. So uh, both of them were humorous songs. I sang Nick Lowe's song, The Beast in Me, and I sang Ray Wiley Hubbard's uh, famous blues song, Pole Cat. And so we had a lot of fun. The audience uh, loved it. And uh, so uh, underneath my uh, polished exterior is a blues singer trying to get out. <laughs> Thank you for that. Well, I have the same question for Katie, something fun or something that people might not know about your uniqueness. Uh, well, most people don't know that I love to cook and that I especially love uh, Indian cooking and I make my own spices and uh, am a 
make an especially great doll that I love to serve uh, for lunch for Gay. And I love Indian food, so I'm a great uh, audience for it. Well, so much of what we talk about on the show is around positive behavior change. And in that same context, we seek to learn about technology and different ways of being that will empower us to show up more fully and more present to make those good choices in our lives. Now, the fitness industry, conventional thinking currently in wellness and fitness has been proven fundamentally flawed. There's toted phrases such as calories in, calories out, move more, eat less, no pain, no gain. But I think what I'm most excited about today to explore with your book and with our topics is consciousness and self-awareness that we must have in ourselves and our relationships to bring massive change to an industry that I feel and a movement that is desperately crying out for a shift. Gay and Katie, many of our previous guests have come on the show to discuss technology. So today is such a gift where I'm excited to explore this power of emotional intelligence and how we show up in our relationship could just quite be the possibility of having a life of fulfillment and wellness we all desire. So the first question I would love to ask Katie is what was the spark behind Conscious Loving Ever After? We know it was the second book from Conscious Loving, but how did that happen? Were you both just on a walk one day and you said, let's write another one? How how did that happen? Well, we really began to see that there is a certain shift that happens uh, later in life where you either make the choice to open up and to continuously renew yourself, to be interested in learning and expanding every day, or you literally start folding up, not just in your relating, but in your body and in your choices. So you either go for innovation or you go for routine. And we decided that we wanted to share what we had learned about the value of expanding every day rather than just settling. And who do you think the book is really the perfect fit for? I mean, I know it's, it's conscious loving ever after, but I'm 35 years old and I found profound moments <laughs> for transformation in my own relationship. It's not just for people who are in their 40s and 50s and 60s. I mean, who did you write this book for essentially? Well, a lot of the material in there is directed toward people at midlife, which is traditionally starts in the early 40s. But certainly a, a 35-year-old is going to get a lot out of it because See, one of the key things that was the spark for me, Josh, was that I saw that after midlife, people needed a whole different set of techniques that were oriented around accessing more of their creativity. We say that every day after 40, you have to make a choice every day between creativity or stagnation. Katie put it, innovation or routine, kind of going through the same motions. And so we've worked with thousands now of couples and single people. And so we have a sense of what has to happen in each decade of life in order to have people flourish. In your 20s, you're doing a lot of getting separate from your parents and kind of figuring out who you are vis-a-vis your parents and what your path is in life. And distinct from your parents. And then in your 30s, you're often dealing with internal issues. You're dealing with things that you didn't realize that were factors in your life, uh, in your emotions. You're dealing with different fears you have or different sadnesses that you've had or different angers that you've had in your life. And then as you get up into your 40s, you develop a whole new set of issues, which is kind of you got your feet on the ground oftentimes. But what's missing oftentimes is the heart element of things. 
that you have to keep choosing things that have heart to them, that have passion to them, that have juiciness to them, because there's such a tendency after 40, particularly, to just do more and more of the same. And so we want to help people shift out of the routine of life and discover the power of accessing more individual creativity and creativity in your relationships. And that leads to a whole different set of questions like, hmm, what do we need to do in our relationship to add variety? What do I need to do in myself to wake up feeling every day like I'm really accessing my real creativity? As you begin to move up into your 40s, 50s, and 60s, those kind of questions about your creativity and your kind of your inner juiciness plays such a huge role in how you show up in your relationships. And in that same regard, creativity can be a power. You say in your book, it's creative regeneration. And you've both had this opportunity in your lives and your careers to lose 40 pounds and get off cholesterol and blood medications by the time you turn 50. Do you feel that creative regeneration was a spark for this? And can you explain to the audience this power of creative regeneration? Well, just as in any kind of physical training, what we're learning now is that you can rest in between working hard and that uh, you, you design exercises that are really functional rather than repetitive. We find that each choice that you make in the day can lead you toward being more open to creative flow and more aliveness. It gives you a different fuel than either uh, trying to control your partner, trying to uh, operate by criticizing. You really establish a kind of co-creative relationship where your questions are about how can I support you to continue expressing who you really are in the world, what you most want to do, what you most love to do. And out of two whole people making those choices every day, choice after choice, you get just a rich kind of cornucopia of possibilities for discovering and celebrating rather than settling for a kind of plateau. Things can actually just keep getting better. Something comes up for me when I hear you with that profound explanation of discovery, that keyword discovery. How do we as busy professionals, busy working mothers, busy working fathers, or just busy human beings, what's the number one thing we can do to not fall into a rut and to be constantly curious about discovering new and creative ways to express ourselves and connect with others? How does that happen? Well, it's kind of like making the choice to get physically fit. I think that the paradigm is exactly the same. You need to make a commitment, first of all, to your relationship fitness, to being completely fit in your relationships. And that means doing what you most love to do in your life and being in a relationship with a person who's doing what they most love to do. I think that the act of spiritual regeneration or creative regeneration in ourselves, which asks the question about what can I do today to surprise myself? Mm. What can I do that will really take me into a different dimension? So if you start asking big questions like that, you see, like with physical fitness, Josh, I didn't really ever go into a gym seriously until about five years ago. So for most of my life, if you would ever ask me, are you ever going to do training in a gym? I would have laughed at you because it was the last thing. In my but then I got into it 
and I'm totally sold on it now. I, I just I don't miss it. I mean, I don't miss a session unless I happen to be out of town or something. So for the last four or five years, having something disciplined like that to do three days a week with a trainer has made a huge difference for me. And I think physical fitness is one of the hidden mm -hmm. things that nobody ever talks about in relationship because if people are not feeling good inside their bodies, they're going to take it out on the relationship. They're going to find fault in the relationship simply because they're not humming inside themselves. So I think partly learning to love another person is also learning to love yourself at a deeper and deeper level. And unless you've got some physical vibrance going, unless you're doing something on a daily basis to become more physically fit, I think it's hard to have a good commitment to being relationship fit. Wow. There's so many things I want to say about your last minute or two, but the thing that really rang true for me was when you talked about for five years, you've been going to the gym and have this accountability. What was the shift with you, Gay? I mean, recently though, with this new shift of in the past five years, seeing a trainer for that accountability, was there something that shifted in your persona, your professional life that made you want that extra accountability or talk to us about that? Well, part of it was bottoming out. Uh, you know, I weighed 40 pounds more than I do now, and my knees were hurting all the time. And all of a sudden, I, I kind of had a, had a wake-up scare of uh, I got a real bad sinus infection, and I got really sick. And so I realized I need to make a passionate, dedicated focus on feeling physically vibrant every day. And so I just started doing it one day at a time. You know, your commitment usually is, is good for about 24 hours. And so you have, to <laughs> remake, you have to remake that commitment all the time. And I go in the morning, uh, you know, early in the morning. And so sometimes when it's chilly out here, I have to say, oh boy, do I really want to put on my wool beanie and drive all the way over to the gym? But every time I do it, mm -hmm. I come out afterwards feeling so good that it's just naturally rewarding. And I think the more things that I feel good about in myself, the more things I'm going to look into the relationship and feel good about. See, I think we're, we're often in relationship. There's such a, if you watch television or something like that, all of the dramas are about somebody or other who doesn't tell the truth or doesn't take responsibility for something. And then a whole bunch of terrible things happen until they wake up and then they decide to tell the truth about it or take responsibility for it. Or they don't. Or they don't. And if, if they don't, it's a tragedy. And if they do, it's a comedy. <laughs> and so uh, you really need to um, understand that life itself is a partly about figuring out what your purpose is and what you're really doing. And then knowing that also that you're going to drift off of that from time to time and you need to recommit. So you know, there's an importance in committing to something, but perhaps as important is learning how to recommit when you've kind of slipped off the wagon, so to speak. And you mentioned in your book, being out of integrity with your genius causes a wobble that destabilizes your relationship, work and health. Um, reminded of the way I felt so many times in my life before what I call surrendering to my calling. I'm curious if you'd be open to telling us about what happened when you were 24 and you had weighed 320 pounds. Yes. Well, uh, I'd been obese pretty much from the earliest days of my life. I was one of those very fat babies that nobody could figure out why. They took me around to different specialists and they thought I had a thyroid problem and then a pituitary problem. But anyway, it was a big problem throughout my whole 
early existence, by the time I was 24, I weighed 320 pounds. And I had a big spiritual waking up. One day I slipped and fell on the ice. I was in New Hampshire at the time and I, I slipped and fell on the ice and I didn't knock myself out, but I kind of knocked myself out of my normal personality for a moment. I, I sort of brought me up short and I realized, oh my goodness, I could have killed myself there. And as I lay there on the ice, I had this two or three minutes where I could feel down into the part of me that was pure consciousness, that wasn't any, there weren't any thoughts or there weren't any tension in my muscles and there weren't any feelings that I hadn't expressed. It was this beautiful, peaceful place down in the center of myself that I'd never really experienced before. And so I made a commitment to feeling that in every moment. And so as I came out of that, I started eating differently. I started eating things that I'd never eaten before, and I started doing some exercise, and I gradually lost more than 100 pounds. Then I kind of kept it off up until I was in my 50s or so, and then I started gaining it back, and I gained back about 40 pounds, and so I weighed up instead of 180 pounds, which I weigh today, I was about uh, 218 pounds, I think. And so then I had this sinus infection five years ago that really gave me a wake-up call. And so I think some of us need to kind of bottom out or hit the wall before mm -hmm. we you know, can make a change. Um, and, and so that's sort of what happened to me. But I, I'll tell you, the, the key thing that happened when I was 24 was the discovery of that spiritual part of myself, that pure consciousness part. And nowadays, you know, I meditate and do physical things that gives me that feeling inside all the time, that pure consciousness feeling. But when I was 24, I'd never felt it before. So it was sort of like opening up a new, it was like turning on a new set of lights in a room and seeing mm. that there was a whole number of dimensions of myself that I'd never been in touch with before. And I don't think without that experience, I would ever been able to meet Katie um, I met her about uh, seven or eight years later, eight or maybe eight or nine years later. When did I meet you? When I was 34, I think. You were 34. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So 10 years later, when I met her, I had that 10 years of kind of getting in touch with myself and learning how to express my emotions and things like that. And I think without that, I wouldn't have been able to create this amazing relationship for the past 35 years. And key word create such a powerful story, Gay. Thank you for sharing that. That's actually the first time three years ago, I saw a documentary and it was Finding Joe. And that was my first kind of brush with you and your story. And I have to tell you, I was 280 pounds in my life at one point, and I was using food to cover up all the things I didn't want to feel. And it really rang true for me. So the more that we can talk about these things that are really happening, you know, the, the permission as men to feel our emotions fully and completely, that is something that I think is missing from the fitness and the wellness industry. Because as you both wrote in the book, there is this art of presencing that expands play. We had a specialist, a movement specialist on the show. His name's Daryl Edwards. And he's kind of reinventing the art of primal play, you know, having fun and moving. And when I was reading the book, I, I read this section on presencing. Katie, can you dive into presencing for people that might not know what that is? I, it actually didn't work on my spell checker either. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we want to turn presencing into a verb because it is actually 
an action, a set of actions that you take. It's instead of just talking to your partner, we have this illusion that relationship is really about talking to each other and about working on your relationship. And we think it's a head relating to a head, but presencing is really allowing your whole body to be open to giving and receiving love and attention. So to be able to notice your partner's breath, to be able to turn fully towards your partner, to be able to give yourself loving attention and then give your partner loving attention, to have that be kind of tossing back and forth like you would toss a ball so that you don't give all of your attention to your partner and drain yourself or get so back in the cave that you don't know how to share yourself. The art of presencing is really letting yourself kind of uncross your legs, unfold your arms, turn fully towards your partner and breathe so that you let yourself be open to what is it that wants to emerge from me? What is it that you want to share? And what is it that can happen between us as both of us really come to the the moment that is really irreplaceable. Each moment is a choice for us to share with each other or to withhold ourselves. And we think that presencing can really replace what usually runs relationships, which is adrenaline, the kind of adrenaline that you get from criticizing and blaming or trying to control your partner. But if you are willing to let yourself sample a new way of fueling yourself, presence is so much juicier. It leads to being able to play. It leads to being able to appreciate, to be intuitive with each other, and to really be able to be completely yourself in the presence of somebody else, which I think is is one of the great adventures that's available to humans. It's such a great point, having fun and playing and being present, but adrenaline is addictive. So, you know, becoming someone who blames others or criticizes others, we've all had that person in our circle or in our lives that just never has anything positive to say. They seem to always find fault in others. Do you feel like these people can actually be physiologically addicted to blaming others through adrenaline? Yes, that's a very key point, Josh, because you have to think of adrenaline just like you do any other powerful drug. We happen to manufacture it in tiny quantities in our bodies, but it's a very powerful drug. And what happens is people get addicted to the drama in relationships. They they fight about sexuality or they fight about money, and that fires off adrenaline, specifically the act of making somebody else wrong or blaming somebody else, fires off a burst of adrenaline. And so if you get addicted to that, you really have to go through a period of detoxing from that. And it took us, we we made a commitment way back, probably a couple of years into our relationship, Mm -hmm. we made a commitment to eliminating blame and criticism from our relationship. And even though we made that powerful commitment and remade it many times, we would slip back off and get into blame again, and then we'd have to recommit. But eventually, after a few years, we got to a place where we just didn't criticize and blame each other anymore. And so that's been really delicious. Like, I know that we haven't 
done any criticism or blame since we've lived in this particular house. And we've been here about 15 years now. And I don't remember a single incident of blame or criticism since we've been here. And so I'm kind of prouder about that in a way than about <laughs> writing 30 or 40 books. <laughs> because I, you know, one of the things I realized early on after I got my PhD from Stanford, I still hadn't worked out how to have healthy relationships yet. And one day I realized, what's the what's the use of having a PhD in counseling psychology from Stanford if I can't learn to get along with one person? <laughs> so, um, so I put my attention really on creating a kind of relationship that I would want all of my clients to have. Well, that brings me to a point where we talk about being distracted. You said you had fallen off the rails because, you know, as teachers that you are, you've trained tens of thousands of people and coaches you're still human beings. You still have um, circuitry that is imperfect, beautifully imperfect. Now, one thing, a topic you talk about in the book is a weapon of mass distraction. And I have to say, I love this because you took something that is out there that's negative in the world and you made it something that was really amicable and really fun to say. I, I said it to my girlfriend. She loved it. But can you tell the Wellness Forest audience, Katie specifically, what is weapons of mass distraction? Well, if you are aware of any of the input, the massive amount of input that we receive every day on uh, Facebook, on television, especially on the the dramas that show up on television, they are all run by adrenaline. They're all run by someone either withholding, not telling the truth about something, or asking somebody else to keep a secret or uh, saying, um, I have something that I want to share with you, but you can't tell anybody else. And the, the distraction is people not really getting real, taking responsibility for what they're actually feeling and letting other people know what is going on. So they distract themselves with the dramas and the who did what to whom. Uh, we call it, you know, chasing each other around that you're either going to be the villain or the victim, or you're looking for someone to rescue you. And often that rescue comes through some kind of distraction where you either, you know, buy a major appliance or a new house, or uh, you do something that takes you away from the actual presencing that could happen in that moment that could bring you closer. Because we know that we're either protecting or we're growing. But even down at a cellular level, we can't do both. We either have the choice to grow and discover or to withhold. And the distraction takes us away from what would really allow us to grow in that moment. Mm. And how do we recognize when we're in this habit? when we're wasting energy on the seesaw? How do we know when we're there? Well, one way is to just notice your physical level of vibrancy. You'll feel a sense of dullness. You'll feel a sense of going through the motions. You won't feel that kind of hum of aliveness inside yourself. Mm. We invite people in our work, we do a lot of work with breathing and movement also in our relationship work. It's not just talk work. It's work that involves the whole body. And so we ask people to monitor their breathing. We ask people to monitor their movement, to use their movement. And we, we want to use as a barometer that internal sense of juicy aliveness, mm -hmm. that feeling of saying, ha, I love my life. I love feeling alive. I love how things are going right now. It's that kind of feeling of zest 
that I think human beings are supposed to experience. And if we're not experiencing that, if we're experiencing anything less, we need to figure out why and how we're blocking ourselves from that sense of aliveness. And oftentimes it's relationship issues that are blocking that experience of aliveness, either things we've, um, deceptive things we've done in relationships or repetitive blame patterns or repetitive criticism patterns. Those kinds of things all kill that sense of aliveness in your relationships. It's such a valid point. There's a entrepreneur, he's very famous. His name is Gary Vaynerchuk. And he said, the truth is undefeated because eventually the truth is going to bubble up. And you've been on many shows, the both of you talking about how when there's things that come up, you tell the truth at all costs. Why is that so fundamentally important? I was recently in a workshop where we were asked the question, when your wife says, does this dress make me look fat? You say, <laughs> absolutely not. <laughs> but I don't think you shared that sentiment. What is your views on telling the ultimate truth in any environment, in any circumstance in a relationship? We really have found both personally and, and working with thousands of people that being authentic, choosing to be real and to let yourself express from what you are actually experiencing rather than trying to get somebody's approval or trying to avoid criticism. When you choose authenticity, it opens up intimacy both with yourself and with others quicker than anything else you can do. And it doesn't have to be profound. It could be something like, um, I feel confused or uh, I'm noticing that my face feels hot, that that's what you're actually experiencing in that moment. And that undefended expression invites your partner, invites your friends to really see you as you are. And it also is a wellspring of your vitality because you're not cutting off the hose. If you think of, of authenticity is really like the flow coming through a garden hose and your choice to either express that or not is the nozzle. If you hold back on expressing yourself or you kink the hose by starting to say something and then not really expressing it fully, you actually block your own aliveness. And people can test this out. Don't don't take our word for it. Start to say something that's true and then stop yourself and notice how you experience that in your body. It's so much more pleasurable to be authentic. And it's actually the only place where you're you're really safe that Nothing that you say that's true ever needs to be defended. And we've seen over and over again that people people's relationships are healed by telling what is actually true, what they've experienced, what they've done, what they're feeling, and especially what they're scared about. Because we find that underneath all issues is the swirling experience of fear that usually people are not aware that they're experiencing. And I mentioned before we came on the show, our, our mutual friend, Lindsay, had taught me something about love and fear. Every choice we make in a relationship, whether it's we're going to show love or we're going to do something, it's either from one of those two places, either love or fear. I actually dedicated a brick to the Encinitas Community Schools here. And on that brick says, love is greater than fear. And I'm curious if you could describe how you both came up with that love versus fear concept. Was that something that was inspired to you by one of your mentors or did that just kind of come through you? Well, what I really know about it came from an experience I had in 1974 
where I was walking around out in the woods in uh, Colorado, and I, I realized that all my life I'd been pursuing truth by asking people outside myself, professors or gurus or whoever. And I realized in this one moment, I realized the one person I had never trusted or asked was my own self. And so I paused there under the trees and I asked this big question. I said, I kind of directly talking to the universe. I said, what is the main thing that human beings are doing wrong that if we did it correctly, we would, life would unfold itself very organically and easily. And the information that kind of downloaded into me in that moment is the one thing that we're doing wrong is we don't love ourselves. We don't honor ourselves. We don't uh, allow ourselves to feel ourselves deeply enough to contact that deep, pure consciousness at the center of ourselves. And so I stood there for the longest time, maybe 20 or 30 minutes, just letting myself experience all the things that I'd never fully let myself feel, like anger and sadness and fear, all those sorts of feelings that I'd kind of kind of hidden from myself. And as I opened up to all of those, I really became a different kind of person. I felt like I kind of stepped into a three-dimensional version of myself rather than the two-dimensional version I'd been living out of. And it was a very important moment for me because I saw that down at the bottom of everything, you're either in love or in fear at any given moment, that you're either open to cherishing yourself, cherishing other people, the universe around you, you're opening to listening, you're opening to being present, or you're scared about something, and that closes the nozzle that Katie was talking about. And so I think it's a fundamental thing at this point of human evolution that we're going through, that we're, as a species, perhaps, if you look around the world at all of the tragedy that goes on in the name of religion and all the different things that are happening now with fundamentalism and everything, what you see that it's all fear-based, that, um, you know, in a sense, terrorists only want one thing. They want us to be as afraid as they are. Mm -hmm. And so that's their way of evening out the world is to make everybody as afraid as they are. But ultimately, love will triumph because love is bigger than fear. And you can test that out in your own being by noticing what happens when you love your fear. <laughs> you know, that suddenly a whole new world opens up. How do we love our fear? How do we do that? That's so, that's such beautifully put, but I'm curious how that happens. Yes. Well, you do it exactly in this way. You find right now some part of yourself that's afraid. Check down in your belly or think of something you're afraid of. Maybe you're afraid of making a big commitment in relationship, or maybe you're afraid of going to the full level of your success and your chosen path. Whatever it is, find the fear down in there, feel it in your body, and then love it just like you love someone you know you love. Like you know you love your girlfriend, perhaps, or you know you love your parents. So use that love as a jump start to loving yourself just the way you are. 
Mm. I just have to pause and take that in. It was really powerful. And um, I feel like I owe you for our session today. (laughs) I have never heard an explanation quite like that in my life. Drop a gigantic imaginary check for a couple of million dollars in the universal bank account. Thank you for that, Gabe. Well, this is the last part of our show. This is seven for seven, just seven quick questions for seven top of mind answers. And this first question is for Katie. Katie, what in your life are the three most powerful ways of being that you feel impact relationships and our health and wellness? I would say uh inventing new ways of moving every day would be number one, choosing new ways of moving just even from place to place. And I would say number two is giving 10 minutes a day to practicing something that you really love, Uh, whether that's, uh, you know, doodling or singing or painting or creating a new soup. And I'd say number three is appreciating really developing the art of appreciating yourself and others. Mm, Appreciation muscles. You guys can check out the book. There's a beautiful section on appreciation muscles. Gay, what is the most creative thing you've ever done when it comes to showing yourself love? Mm, Wow. I have a a commitment to doing something every day. Uh, So today, for example, I was out in the fresh air on the golf course playing golf, and that was an expression, kind of playing hooky on a (laughs) Tuesday afternoon, you know, going over and playing golf. That was an expression of love. Um, I also, in my life for 40 years now, have every day done my best to choose food Mm. that makes me feel more vibrant inside myself. And as I get older, that becomes even more important. And to, you know, I I don't like to eat in restaurants much more anymore because Katie has developed this high art of conscious cuisine that really nurtures us. So, you know, like instead of going out on my birthday, Katie will ask me what she would like me to make for my birthday. So it's it's making daily choices. It's kind of like a friend of ours. Uh, He wanted to get physically fit. And so what he did was. Every day he went to the gym and the first week he did one chin up and then the second week he did two chin ups every day. Then the third week he did three chin ups and by the end of the year he couldn't help being fit because he was doing 52 chin ups Hmm. every day. You know, and it was this gradually cumulative kind of thing. Hmm. And we say that you move to complete enlightenment through tiny choices most of which don't even take longer than 10 seconds. It's the choice to say an appreciation to your beloved rather than a criticism. It's the choice to take a bite of an organic apple rather than a handful of potato chips. (laughs) (laughs) All these little tiny choices um, make a difference gradually in, in becoming cumulative. And so a lot of people think of enlightenment as this giant flash of light and thunder or like jumping into a a lake or something, but it's really more about making these tiny choices and then waking up one day as we realized and realized, oh, we haven't criticized each other mm-hmm. in several years now. And we didn't even think about it until one day we had that kind of flash of awareness. So I think it's paying attention to the tiny choices that you make on a daily basis. Very powerful too. Katie, what is one book that has been really thought-provoking or impactful for you in the past couple of years? 
Oh, gosh. In the past couple of years, I'd say um, uh, a book called The Happiness Hypothesis by uh, Jonathan Haidt, which is full of the the gems of how people shift you know emotionally and relationally and how we can get our brains and the rest of our bodies to be friends with each other gay if you could change one thing about the wellness industry and the fitness industry the messaging the energy uh, that you see currently in the industry what would it be and why it would be about learning how to love your body rather than mm. thinking of your body as an object, uh, learning how to, what I call, put your mind in your muscles to get more consciousness into whatever training you do. I've found that my training didn't really take off until a, a year or so because I hadn't learned to get my mind in my muscles. I hadn't learned to really stay down in myself um, enough. And once that happened, it became cumulative. Now it's like I go in for an hour of my training and it's a deep immersion in learning how to integrate both my mind and my body. So I think having a greater field of awareness of learning how to love yourself rather than thinking of yourself as an improvement project. So beautifully put. I'm thinking about what comes to mind after 10 years of being in gyms is seeing a lot of people push more repetition, more effort, more energy, but not really giving yourself the space to feel tired or the space to be sad or the space to have a bad day. So Wellness Force audience, emotional intelligence. We've had a lot of guests on the show that have talked about that, but in my opinion, no more powerfully stated than in answer number four. Question number five for Katie or Gay. How have you seen technology positively impact your own wellness in the past three to five years? Being able to use video to tape myself when I'm working out with my trainer, I can take a look at the video and see what I'm doing, both to repeat it, but also to give me more awareness about how I am using myself. I started after 20 years of Pilates uh, doing functional exercise this last year, and it's just been a mind boggler because of it, its effectiveness, but also the way that it challenges me to be able to use both technology that that my trainer is providing, but also to to be able to then review that uh, with all of the different courses that I can find to support me online. I find that so supportive. And Gay, last question for you from working with so many clients over the years. What is one belief that you really love and enjoy helping people let go of? Letting go of the belief that there's something fundamentally flawed about them. That belief is always put in there from outside. No baby ever comes out thinking they're fundamentally flawed, but somewhere in our programming, we get, you know, we fall out of love with ourselves. And so seeing people let go of this belief that they're flawed in any way and realizing that they're perfect the way they are, that's a moment I never get tired of in working with people. That moment they have that experience of loving themselves as they are, it's pure magic. Katie, if you could describe one wellness habit that you fostered in your life that has made the greatest impact for you in a positive way. Oh boy, I'd say um, meditation followed by or uh, preceded by stretching where I'm giving myself 
I just am giving myself attention. I'm being with myself as I am moving, that that's made the biggest difference in my loving and appreciating myself and making the choices that really support me. So powerful Wellness Force Radio. Make sure to check out everything at Hendrix.com. Gay, Katie, this has been such a joy and I feel so honored to have been to sit with you and spend your valuable time here in conversation about things that really matter. And I just want to take a second to honor you both for the contribution you're making, not just in the wellness industry, but in people's lives across the world. Thank you, Josh. Great to be with you. Thank you. Our last question before we say goodbye, and this is whoever it comes up for the most, is what is wellness to you? What is your personal definition of wellness? Wellness to me is the feeling of being aligned with my life purpose, doing what I most want to do and what I'm living in my Mm -hmm. zone of genius so that I'm contributing to the absolute max what I'm creating. At the same time, doing it in a way that brings joy to my physical body so I can actually feel Mm -hmm. the actual experience of aliveness and vibrance in every moment inside myself. Mm, To that, I say yes. (laughs) (laughs) I say yes as well. And to both of you, I say much gratitude and blessings for everything you're creating in 2016. Wellness Force Radio, Conscious Loving Ever After will be linked in the show notes as well as the Hendrix Institute. Where can people learn about signing up for some of your workshops in 2016? Can they learn that at Hendrix.com as well? Yes, they can go to Hendrix.com. They can also go to our Facebook page, which is called Hearts in Harmony, where they'll get lots of tips that often have a body flavor to them to be able to involve your whole being. So that would be another place to get more information. Well, we'll make sure to link that in the show notes and we wish you the very best in everything you're doing in the new year. Thank you very much, Josh. That does it for episode 32 with Gay and Katie Hendricks. Tune in next week. We have on a super special guest. And when I say super, I mean the last show of 2015. Is it really almost 2016? Are we looking at 2016 in like two weeks? You guys, this has been a wild ride. I just want to take this moment to say thank you so much for checking out the show. Your amazing reviews have been giving us such great presence on iTunes and the What's Hot section for fitness, nutrition, and self-help. If you haven't had the chance to leave a quick review, you can do so right now. I would so appreciate just tapping that show screen, hit the review link in purple, and just take 60 seconds to leave a quick review. It would mean the world to me and my message of helping people better their wellness through technology, how we can change our behaviors and show up as better human beings. But next week, Adam Farah, Beyond Paleo, Practical Spirituality. If today's message resonated with you about showing up in our emotional, physical, and spiritual lives, next week is going to rock you. For the last show of the year, we are going to go even deeper into cultivating a stronger mind and emotional body, as well as wrap up the year with some action steps for 2016 and let you know about some cool stuff that's coming down the pipe for Wellness Force. We're going to bring on amazing guests in 2016. We have David Zappazotti on weight loss and integrity. We have Stacey Conlin, a mindfulness expert for stress reduction. We have Jesse Lawler to come on the show and talk about nootropics and brain health. We're going to have Chris Kelly, a naturopathic doctor, to talk to us about sleep. And to round it out, we're going to have Jessica Richman, one of the founders of Biome, come on the show and talk about gut health, as well as some surprise guests for January, February, and March. So tune in next week for all the special details about what's coming in 2016. Now you get to go and have an amazing day. 
with all the tools and inspiration from Gay and Katie and every other guest that's been on the show. And until I see you again real soon, I'm wishing you love and wellness.